Hey. Hey. Welcome to this week's episode of The 13th Floor. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And Alex, what are you talking about this week? What are we talking about? Yeah, what are we or talking just about? Okay, we are talking about stories about movies from behind the scenes. Yes. So I'm just going to read off the uh, Matrix director's commentary. Alex, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, this is Alex's topic of choice. You guys know Alex loves movies. He's got his other podcast, Monsters vs. Men, where they talk about monster movies. Yeah. And so naturally, for Alex's topic of choice, we are talking about movies. Yeah. Yes. Mm. How you guys been? Doing pretty good. What about you, James? Doing good. Well, James... <laughs> Tell us about your spiders. We haven't had a spider update uh, in a very long time. Oh, yeah. Lots happened with spiders. Um, the big one, which you know, I posted on Instagram about, is uh, it's so weird because I got pumpkin and spice. They were my first two tarantulas together as a pair for very cheap. And spice was like a third of an inch. Like so little, he was basically transparent. Like I was really worried that he wouldn't survive because he's just so little. And uh, I have taken him in my car three times once was i went to rep arena and i got him and then once when i moved and then i took him back to rep arena and the reason why is because he's a mature male and they don't have long to live when they're mature males and i found somebody with a female at uh, the reptile expo so he won't live long as i said but he's fulfilling what his uh genetic programming demands that he do and I will mm. probably be, be getting some baby spices in the very near future. Oh, good. Baby and spices. And I also used uh, some of that trade-in money because I got a discount as a result. Um, I got the biggest arachnid by mass in the world. And his name is Oolong. Okay. And Wait, he's, what's his name? Oolong. 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 And he's going to get up to eight inches? Yes. Yes. Probably okay. more, actually. I think they can get to be 12. So he's going to be a foot long. How long is it going to take him to get that big, James? A long time. Okay. So there is that. Right now he's like, I don't know, one and a half, two inches. That's that's too big for me. It's still too big that's for me. That's leg span, though, mind you. That's toe to toe. Toe to freaking toe. That's still big. We had a giant still very big, yeah. orb weaver yeah. that was on our back door earlier oh, today. Yeah. I relocated him, but... Then after relocating them, I realized I should probably just left them there to eat the bugs mm. near the door. But yeah. I just moved them to the neighbor's yard. Yeah. Good so deal. He's, he's just our neighbor now. I just knew Gwen would be staring at him all the time and be worried that he was going to get it. I'm like, hey, Gwen, he's not going to bother you. But once she noticed him, I mean, she was shouting at me while I was mowing the yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know it until I turned off the mower to show her a frog in the backyard that I found. <laughs> And I saw her like, that eye is spider. Mm. It was huge. He was big. It was big. Mm. And then while she was playing today, James, you might find this mildly interesting or maybe funny. Okay. But she's she's sitting on her little swing set. She's getting ready to go down the slide. And I see this little tiny, I guess he is an orb weaver as well. But he's, he drops down and he's right above her head. And it was like he noticed her. And then it shot back up, like at rapid speed. It was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. He had a nope moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He's like, oh. And he just jettisoned himself away from the area. 
Well, that's a wonderful spider update. I'm glad that you've got oolong. I'm missing spice already, but I can't wait to yeah. see the baby spices. I do, yeah. and I know that you said, James, that you found another person with a female at the expo. Did you just mm-hmm. go around asking people, like, hey, do you have a female? Do you have a female to strangers until you found somebody? To be fair, at an expo like that, that's a totally normal question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your totally word for normal. it. I've only been mm. to one of those expos, and it was with you, James. Hello, you- sir. Is your spider down to clown with mine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, all right. Well, guess what, you guys? Do you guys know who's joining us for our Patreon this week? Archer. He's here this time, too. <laughs> Who else is going to be on our Patreon? Why, I'm glad that you asked. Um, my father. What? Don. What's Don? Or as Gwen Don calls Don? him, Dabu. What's, what's he want? Um, he's going to be joining us. This is something most of our listeners might not know about my dad, but he has worked in film for years. He's got his own production company, but prior to that endeavor, he worked on a ton of very big movies that you have probably seen, uh, usually in the electric department. But he's going to come on and tell us about what it's like to work on a movie behind the scenes and share some of the crazy stories that come with it. Because you guys, lots of crazy things happen when you are making a movie. I can't wait for him to share these stories with us and the people. Yeah, and my dad, like, I know he's my dad, but he legitimately is one of the funniest people in the whole Mm. entire world. So, patrons... Get excited. It's going to be a wild and funny conversation. So stay Uh tuned for that. Question of the week, you guys. I think that this one's pretty straightforward, right? And it's something that we haven't really asked before on the show, but what's your favorite movie? Have we really not asked that? I don't think we have. We've talked about TV shows, but not movies. Interesting. Mm. Cece, I feel like you've got one locked and loaded. Yeah, well, mine's... Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, okay. the Wes Anderson thought. movie. I just, it's so pretty, and it's the story's interesting, but even more so, it's just a pretty movie to watch. Aesthetically, I love it. Mm, interesting. Now, yeah. I figured you would say that or Life, Life Aquatic, Aquatic. Yep. which Archer has actually a piece of Life Aquatic artwork in his bedroom. I have not seen Royal Tenenbaums. I know that you. I've mentioned this, or whatever you mentioned the movie, but I'm I've only with seen. You. I've only seen parts of it on Comedy Central. That was it. Mm. And the, um, the first Wes Anderson movie I saw in theaters was Life Aquatic, Steve Zissou. Yeah. And that was a very interesting movie to never have seen one of his movies before and go see. And it's like, I liked it, but nobody else with me did. Uh, you know? Because no one expects he's that. He's a movie. very polarizing guy. Well, I'll he is a polarizing that. guy. And a lot of people don't like his movies, which is... Totally fine. I, I get why because they're just different. They're different. They're yeah. different. And they're, if you're not, if you're expecting your routine Hollywood yeah. movie, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Right. I love the Family Guy parody of his stuff. Yeah, exactly. If you're <laughs> expecting something different, something with a new flavor, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, a lot of people. It's like his most recent movie. Not the French. I, yeah, I wasn't a French big French Dispatch, dispatch mm-hmm. fan. I liked some of it, but not all of it. But. A lot of people say that if you like Wes Anderson movies, it means you're a hipster. I don't I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with it either. I'm not a hipster. I know. Me neither. Far from it. Far Alex is as far from a hipster as you could possibly get. Yeah. I'm a I'm a backwoods redneck, yo. <laughs> Just kidding. 
I don't know what well, Rednecks. Yes, I do. I, I grew up with Bowling Green. I don't know. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? That That's going to change depending on the day. Mm-hmm. But one of my standbys for like a top 10 or even a top five, The Thing. John Carpenter's oh, The Thing, to be specific. Yeah. I don't think that they're... I mean, there's some competitors, but for the sake of hyperbole, I don't think that there is a better competitor for paranoia in a movie. Yeah. It's it, the scariest, scary movie. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I, actually going to be reviewing it with Kelly um, on her podcast soon. Oh, that's awesome. So well, what, look out for it. Give a, give a shout out for her podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Foodies reviewing. Uh, wait. Foodies reviewing movies. Almost said movies reviewing goodies. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think John Carpenter's the thing is like scary in all the right ways. It avoids cheap scares, mm-hmm. and it's also got probably one of my favorite endings to a movie. Mm-hmm. It's just so memorable, so good. Yes, yes. So I've got to recommend the thing to anybody. And this is John Carpenter's. Not the sequel that came out in like 2013 or 12, <laughs> and not the original from like, I don't know, I think it was like the 40s or something like that. Oh, uh, right. Um, yeah. So, John Carpenter's The Thing. As Alex says, James, what's yours? Man, that is so hard. Um, I was I was thinking about The Thing, actually, and Alien. Oh, yeah, those are the two that I was uh, thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, they're so good. But um, uh, you know what? Since... My favorite comedy is Tommy Boy. I quote Tommy Boy all the time. Yes. But my favorite movie in general that I could just watch any day of the week would probably be Fight Club. Ooh, Fight Club's like such Fight a good Club. movie. And CC's yeah. never seen Fight Club. I've never seen it. Ah, yeah. Fight Club. Fight Club's a weird movie because it's it's not about the message. People misunderstand the message, but the message that they're trying not to convey is so compelling that I still want to fall in line with. It. Like, I want to. I want to start a Fight Club every time I watch that movie. I, I, have, you, have you seen what they did in China for that movie? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's no. so funny, the edit for in China. So what they did was they aired the movie. And this this was just a couple months ago. I don't know why this is like new. But mm. they, they aired it. And then right before the finale, it cuts to black and says, and then the cops showed up and arrested this person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And saved the day. And that's it. Oh, that's the end man. of the movie. <laughs> By the way, the, the only thing, I read the book, the only difference between the book and the movie, they did such a good job adapting it, is the ending. And what's funny about it is the ending, uh, even though it was the only thing they changed, Chuck Palahniuk, the author, really liked the ending so much that he was kind of like, oh, I wish that I'd wrote that. Like, that's how good it, the film hmm. is. That's cool. I'll have yeah. to watch it someday. We could do that. Yeah. It was a good movie. We also need to watch World Tenenbaums. That's fine with me, too. All right, guys. Listen, listen. I think it's time to start talking about movies. Let's do it now. Who is going to go first? I am. Dang. I'm going to go first. Boom. And Monkets, <laughs> this week I am going to be talking about some behind the scenes drama that happened on two movies. Common thread between both of these is a single actor. But I'm going to be talking about The Revenant and Titanic. <gasps> is it Leo? Is it Leo? <laughs> But I'm going to start with Revenant first because it's, it's just kind of shorter than the other one that we're talk about. But it's interesting. Remember when that bear groped DiCaprio? I know. Well, that's just what I was going to say. Like, 
I, I, that was the first thing I heard about this movie before Alex and I went and saw it in theaters. And I was just like, there's no way like that's not real, but what a genius way to get free publicity for your movie. Oh yeah. It's true. Yeah. I mean, everyone was talking about it. People were laughing about it. Yeah. Everybody talked about that whole thing. Yeah. But anyways, okay. Enough about the bear. I just find the background of this movie very interesting just because my, you know, I grew up kind of on film sets. So I kind of know what it's like to work on a film set and how crazy it can be, how hectic it can be. When Alex and I moved to Atlanta, we actually initially came down here because we were planning on working within the film industry because Atlanta has a huge film community. And then we got down here and we were like, you know what? There are other things that interest us more. So we kind of went away from the movies, but that didn't stop us from being extras in several things. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was. A fun thing to do, especially while I was unemployed. <laughs> yes, it was a very fun thing to do. And you guys can see me in Stranger Things Season 2 as dead female scientist, if you look for me really hard. But anyways, <laughs> I've also worked like head of wardrobe on commercials and things like that. So I have quite a bit of experience being on set. And I, this is a set that I would not have wanted to be on, to be on for The Revenant because it was brutal. So the director, what's the director's name again? I don't know. Irin, Ir, Irinito? I, I, I don't can't know. remember. I look it up. Look I it up. I don't know where my phone is. It's yeah. charging over here. Here. I'll look it oh, up. Or, or we could use these two computers that we have in front of us. Yeah, we could. To also do research. But why? But then you have to listen to the clacking of keys. Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. 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 Inarritu, actually. Yeah, yeah he's... Mm-hmm. He, had so much power when it came to this movie because a lot of things that a director would say, hey, we're going to do this. And then the producers would be like, no, we're not doing this. So he wanted to film the entire movie in sequence, which is crazy. Whoa. Yeah, in sequence. And Mm. then he also wanted it to all be filmed entirely in natural light. Wow. Dang. It, yeah, that is absolutely. He could go for the trifecta if he said, let's do it in one shot. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would have been nuts. He, yeah. He, uh, it, it, when, when coupled with the fact that this movie used super remote locations that took a heck of a long time to get to, like, that's insane mm. that you want to just be filming in natural light. It's going to take you three hours to get to your location, three hours to get back. That's a very short window of, like, you know, work, work time. Hmm. that you can actually film because it takes a long time. A lot of people don't realize how much time it takes to actually get a a shot set up when you're on scene. And so there's a lot of sitting around for like actors while the rest of the crew, which do not, the the background crew do not get enough credit when it comes to making films. But anyways, this craziness, if you ask me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And the entire movie is filmed in these very, very remote locations where there was no cell phone signal. So they're out in the middle of nowhere and all of these countries around the world. And I, it blows my mind as somebody who's worked in film before, like mm-hmm. thinking about that. Like what if something had gone wrong on set and then it's like, oh, it's three hours to the nearest town. We're just going to have to drive it. And Leonardo DiCaprio said that he almost had hypothermia because he's walking and wading through these freezing cold mm. rivers. Yeah. So. Mm. I would not have wanted to to be on that film. No. And so I'm looking at the movies he's made, right? He made a lot of good in Babel, man. Flipping uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he directed Babel, which is I haven't seen. It's supposed to be good. What? 21 okay. Grams, I think, was supposed to be good. But then, really, the good. one that I really liked was Birdman. Yep, Birdman's what he's oh, And then good. the next before. year, he had Revenant come out. But guess what? Mm. Since then, he hadn't really done much. He had a VR experience and a Nike Air commercial. The VR thing, though, how... How avant-garde, though. God, I feel, I feel now I'm the hipster. Um, but I mean, really, really, who's doing that? You know what I mean? Like that's this technology that's out there that games are using, and here he is, like putting people in the seat of of the actual participants of a film. Like that's people ain't been innovative to that degree with film since like the twenties. It's crazy. Well, he hadn't done anything in about five years, so. Well, I bet you he's working on something now. Maybe I want to. I want to look up and look into it. He might be like a producer now. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm too good to create now. You um, never know. We, just, we don't know. We'll actually, see. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the muse leaves you, and then that's it. That's what he, happened to Bob Dylan. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he's got nothing going on. Interesting. Well, clearly a perfectionist. You know who else is a perfectionist? James Cameron. Yes, he who is. Made, who made Titanic? <laughs> I it was a segue. <laughs> and he also, like, James Cameron also put Leonardo DiCaprio in freezing cold water and was like, you know, act. So Leonardo mm. DiCaprio is like, he's got a lot of experience in really cold water. Mm. So James Cameron, I read a, an article on yardbarker.com that was about James Cameron and how brutal his filming was on Titanic. Because he's a perfectionist, and so it's like everything had to be perfect. And he wanted his movie to be so perfect, so he had all of this water brought into these huge, massive sets with a huge boat, right, Uh, from the Pacific Ocean. So it was all very cold. And Kate Winslet actually contracted pneumonia because it was so cold. Wow. Yes. And then they had hot tubs all around the set for the actors to get get into in between takes because it's like, oh, I'm freezing. Okay, now I'm warm and I need to warm back up. Interesting. It's going to be bad for your health too, by the way. I know. Can you believe it? Like that's... Oh, moving from warm to hot water like that? Yeah, back and forth. Yeah. Yep. But, But you know what else these actors weren't allowed to do on set? Take bathroom breaks. I knew it. I was just guessing. Oh, wow. Yeah. You just do it in the water. No, James Cameron said, anybody who has to take a bathroom break, I'm going to fire. So all the actors said they just peed in the water the entire movie. Might as well. Yeah. That, so that's that's what they did. But by the end of this film, and this is the story that made me go, oh, what? This happened on a film set? I didn't know about this. At least they, were, they just wrapped up filming in Nova Scotia. And a lot of the crew members were just done because – it's really, it's a difficult movie to work on, right? So they're done. They're excited because, oh, it's the last day of filming. And crafty, you guys. Craft Services was mm. serving soup for lunch. Uh-oh. Clam chowder. Uh-oh. Somebody mm. spiked the clam chowder with PCP. <gasps> oh, my Big. God. No. Big. So people started tripping, man. including James Cameron. When James Cameron realized that something was going on, he supposedly went in the bathroom and made himself throw up. But they had to take all these people, all these crew members to the hospital. And there was one crew member named Marilyn McAvoy who gave an interview to vice.com. And she told about the entire experience because she was one of the people that got drugged. And she said that 
Nobody knew what was going on. It's like, you know, shortly after everyone was eating this delicious clam chowder, is what she said. <laughs> it was so good. People were going back for seconds. Um, and then people were like, oh, there's something not right. And she said that everybody got taken to the hospital and uh, the hospital was super overwhelmed because it's like a tinier hospital. So they've got all these people who are just like tripping, ah, you know, <laughs> um, at the hospital. Wow. And they made them drink this medication with charcoal in it to help them. Right. Yeah. Flush, Makes sense. flush the drugs out of their systems. Yeah. But yeah. I, that- <laughs> That's nuts, man. Clams, potatoes, cream, salt, pepper, Angel dust. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Mama used to make. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it was a fiasco, but they sent afterwards, they sent all the crew home, go sleep it off. And then the next day they had to come back and finish shooting. So yeah, I I thought that was just absolutely bananas. Like I can't even imagine (laughs) having that happen. And they never caught who did it. They think that it might've been a, a chef. That worked with craft services that was like disgruntled because he got fired in the last day. Uh, but they don't know that for sure. They have no idea who did it. That's, a, that's wow. crazy. So, yeah. That, I think it know, was probably Kathy Bates. That just- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Titanic behind the scenes story. Alex, wow. you're going next. What are you, what are you talking yeah. about? I'm covering a little known film called Winter Kills. Uh, it was an unsuccessful film directed by William Reckert. Uh, that came out back in 1979. Now, the film cost a whopping $6.5 million to make. For some reason, I thought you were going to say trillion. No. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. No, yeah, me too. I've been <laughs> wrong. Which is much, uh, which isn't much. Um, but its box office run only brought in about a million dollars. So it was it was a failure. No doubt about it. But despite not having any success and being directed by really kind of a nobody at the time, the film starred an A-list cast, one of which is Jeff Bridges. Now, this is Jeff Bridges earlier in his career, uh, but he had just gotten off a movie and was kind of he's kind of really taking off at this point. Now, a bunch of other... And there's a bunch of other big names at the time, but honestly, if I listed them right now, I think most people would be like, who? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll leave them there. Um, the film was based off of Richard Corden's book, Winter Kills. Now, the author had also written a book that most people will probably have heard of, The Manchurian Candidate, yeah. which has been adapted twice now. We've into talked films. about it before. Yeah. So the book was a political paranoia movie. It, it, it explored the subject matter around John F. Kennedy's assassination and really delved deep into a lot of the conspiracies around it, including the mafia angle. Boom. Now, I don't know for a fact about this time period, but I would imagine that this exploration into the conspiracy around the Kennedy assassination was probably kind of a rarity back in even 74, I would think. Mm. You know, I'm sure books were being written, but movies exploring it, I would imagine, were kind of a rarity. But honestly, I don't know. There's probably a Robert Redford movie that sounds about right. Released around now or something like that. But I, I could see things like this late 70s, early 80s, but back in 74. Uh, I would think maybe a little bit of a rarity, which is when this film was starting to be made. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, around 74, 
79 is when it was released, but I'll get into that in a little bit. The film was initially produced by uh, two guys named Robert Sterling and Leonard Goldberg. Now, these two men were known more for selling and producing softcore porn. That was being released, uh, okay. released at the time. They had gotten most of their financing for this film, though, from the Mafia. Now, remember, this film cost $6.5 million to make. Uh-oh. They didn't need all <laughs> of it, made a probably. They probably didn't need all of it, but or they probably didn't get financed for all 6.5, but a good portion of it was financed by them. So we'll just say $4 million, play it safe. <sighs> so it's kind of funny. This film that talks a lot about the mafia being funded by the mafia is pretty appropriate, especially when it comes to <laughs> some of the things that happen later. Now, director William Record decided to do something different with the film. You know, he read the book, he loved the book, but it is this just absolutely sprawling book. It's very intricate. It's just one of those books that you read and you go, you can't put that in a movie. Mm. So he decided that maybe the best way to tackle this movie would be to make it a kind of a paranoia black satire film. Mm. You know, kind of hard-hitting, but also ridiculous. You know, I think he, I saw him describe it at one point as like an Alice in Wonderland story. Like this guy goes down a rabbit hole that and he's just completely overwhelmed. So it's this drama, thriller, comedy. And apparently the script was so compelling is that's kind of what drew everyone to the project. Like it was just so interesting. So funny. Some of the dialogue is like pretty humorous um, and witty. Now the financing was shady. So people involved with the film, seeing bags of money of cash, just kind of showing up. <laughs> uh, I, and I really do recommend some people go and check out this documentary. It's even on YouTube. It's horrible quality, but the audio is good quality. You can probably just listen to it if you needed to. Uh, it's called who killed winter kills. Um, now it is biased. Record is involved with the. This is the director of the film. He's being. He's involved with the creation of the documentary, but it is pretty fascinating. I haven't finished it yet, but it's pretty. It's it's, it's interesting <laughs> to say the least. Now, during the production of the film, uh, some crazy things happen, mostly concerning the producers who got the money from the mafia. There's many times where the film has to halt production because they're unable to pay the employees. Uh-oh. Mm. So when this would happen, there would be times where they'd stop production and they would have to call each member of the crew into a room and they would hand them an envelope full of money. <laughs> Eventually... They even managed to convince the crew to work for free to finish the film. Everyone was going to work for free to finish the film. For the art, Cece, for the art. Unbelievable. Until you can't refuse. Right? Until the unions caught wind of this and shut it down. Now, Goldberg, one of the producers, you know, they're out of money to make this movie, apparently was found. Not too long afterwards, chained to a bed with a bullet in his head. As one does. 
What? As one does. Uh, Mafia. Oh my god. Showed up to kill him. And it turns out he was also trafficking marijuana with his buddy Goldberg, who got arrested and had a 40 year jail sentence. Yes. So right after movie production gets halted, one of them ends up dead, and oh one of them gosh. ends up with a 40-year prison sentence. Good Lord. <laughs> so of your two producers, one is executed, and one is jailed. Now, the interesting is thing is, and this is according to a Turner Classic movie article that is no longer available, but is cited on Wikipedia, <laughs> <laughs> that... Um, you know, after all of this happens, they have to declare bankruptcy, as you would, as your movie is done for and your two producers have all this stuff happen. Um, eventually, Rickert and Bridges, they make another film called American Success Company. And that movie made enough money that they were actually able to go back and finish this movie two years later. Hmm. So Winter mm-hmm. Kills was completed two years after it had paused (laughs) on production and Mm. winter kills i mean it doesn't have a lot of reviews but it has an 88 percent on rotten tomatoes so it's a decent movie it sounds like it might be a decent movie it's on tubi for free right now if you want to check it out we love tubi Mm. we do love tubi we're big fans over here and uh, I'm going to check it out here soon. I'll, let, I'll get back to y'all on an episode and let you know how it is. Because it's only an hour and a half. And I really want to check it out. <laughs> All right, guys. But yeah, not not many times your producers get executed by the mafia and then sent away to the pen for 40 years. That makes yeah. the, the working conditions on Titanic and The Revenant look like a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Winter Kills. Uh, James, what movie are you talking about? I'm talking about two, um, and they both have one big thing in common: curses. Ooh, so, spooky. yeah, yeah. So the first one is a movie that I recall very well because it pretty much traumatized me as a kid. I think it might have been my first scary movie, um, and that would be Poltergeist. Ooh. And, that movie scared the bejeebers out of me. That clown. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that that too, but. Uh, Really, the clown was not even the scariest part of those. I was just thinking about the poltergeist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, 1982, Poltergeist. It was uh, directed by Tobe Hooper and uh, uh, produced by Spielberg. In fact, as far as I know, and I don't have any confirmation on this, I think it was really his first foray, maybe his last foray into horror, really. Mm. I mean, can you think of any other scary Spielberg films? But uh, anyway... It was super, super scary, and it's about this family, and uh, they, uh, their, their daughter in particular is in communication with uh, spirits, and it's got that classic line there here uh, stated by said character. Hmm. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about it, in addition to the fact that it's just a scary movie, is that four of the main cast died soon after filming different different installments of the trilogy uh, to a point that it's a little weird. So first of all, the, the protagonist who says they're here and, you know, really the, the whole focus of the trilogy was Carol Ann. I mean, like even saying her name, nobody names their kid Carol Ann because you hear it in the movie so many times that it's traumatic, (laughs) but uh, she was played by Heather O'Rourke and uh, she was only six when that movie started 
uh, release, the, the first one. And people just really, I mean, she was just such a bombastic character from such an early age. But presumably, this is where I'm getting into some really weird stuff. Presumably, she was misdiagnosed with Crohn's. And then the following year, she got sick again. And uh, they thought, oh, it's just the flu. And then a, a couple of days later, she has a heart attack. And they airlifted her to a children's hospital where she died during an operation to correct a bowel obstruction, which was later believed was a result of a congenital intestinal abnormality. More on that later. Hmm. That was the first and most tragic and shocking of all of them. Well, the older sister, too, um, just a year or so later, um, she uh, she had a partner, a boyfriend named John Sweeney, and uh, she separated from him. Well, a few months later, he turns up at her house saying, you know, I can change. You know, I'm a nice guy. I don't know what I, I – for some reason, I picture him wearing a this is what a feminist looks like T-shirt. And uh, <laughs> she was like, no, I'm not taking you back. So he uh, he choked her to death mm. and left her – she actually was unconscious at the, the time and hadn't fully died, but he left her to die in, in her house driveway. And she did. He uh, He went to jail for six and a half years, but he was released after just three years. Oh, my gosh. Right? Oh. That's suspicious in and of itself. More on that later. So the other two were not nearly as shock shocking, but the guy who played Kane in Poltergeist 2, Julian Beck, he got stomach cancer and killed him very soon after they finished filming the second film. And then uh, the very same movie, they had uh, Will Sampson, who played the American Indian shaman, and he died shortly thereafter because of a heart-lung transplant, which, to be fair, heart-lung transplant, even now... Very slim odds, and in the eighties, I mean, it was that was a almost a death sentence. To be fair, at the time, um, adding to the spooky factor, there's a rumor which we have no confirmation, but presumably Spielberg actually used real skeletons as props in the movie because I kid you not, in the eighties, real skeletons were cheaper than plastic. Is that that's bananas, <laughs> right? So yeah. that's crazy, and then also. Uh, this spooked the whole crew. That shaman in question, legit background in shamanism. He actually did a legit exorcism uh, one night, like right after filming. So, and of course, then he ended up dying. Now, here's where I'm going with this, though. Um, as we've discussed with the mafia assassinations, there's a lot of corruption in the film industry. And only recently are people taking a closer look, and they're not even really taking that close a look. But uh, Carol Ann, or not Carol Ann, <laughs> the character, Heather O'Rourke, her death, a lot of people have presumed that she didn't have a congenital issue, that it was actually the result of a series of sexual abuses that ultimately perforated her bowel and killed her. Now, while we have no proof of that, the whole, you know, uh, Pedagate, Pizzagate, all that stuff, all the, the fallout that we're seeing that's getting swept under the rug, you know, Epstein and all that. There, there's human trafficking is super common and drug trafficking and human trafficking are great ways to hide your income when you're using a movie. Because again, how much does a movie cost to make? Mm, it's yeah. incredibly broad. You know, you, you could make a movie that costs $6 million and you could budget it at 20 million or mm. vice versa. So there's all sorts of ways that, that really, really horrible things can transpire. And that, makes me wonder about Dominique Dunn as well, because it's like, how 
Is that possible? How could she be choked to death by someone and that person have such a small sentence? It almost feels like this guy was in some group where it was permissible for him to do what he did, if you catch my drift. Mm. So really, really dark stuff in relation to uh, the Poltergeist films. And and to be clear, Tobe Mm. Hooper directed Poltergeist. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And Spielberg, I didn't realize he wrote it. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Well, again, I don't know why he's not had more forays into horror, really. Because, I mean. He's had hmm. very few. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I guess if you classify Jurassic Park <laughs> um, <laughs> into horror, I don't know if you would, though. I would say Jaws yeah. is a horror movie. Yeah, but that was before. A, that was yeah. Well, and Jaws is a horror, but it's just it's before Poltergeist. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other film I'm talking about is a film that neither of you have seen. In fact, nobody's seen it because it doesn't exist. So, little backstory: there was a book written in '63 or published in '63 by a fellow named Mordecai Rickler, and he was a very well-known author up in Canada. And he wrote this book called *The Incomparable Attuck*, and it is funny. So, <laughs> it, it turns I can just see it being huge today as a movie, and I think this is why. Well. More on that in a minute. So (laughs) we see celebrities, we see politicians, we see elite type people with some very odd status symbols and very odd views. Uh, I can think of just as an example, Indian gurus, you know, are so big in in film circles. This is my guru. Um, They're just Mm. more spiritual out in India than they are anywhere else. You know, things (laughs) like that. Well, in this book, basically what ends up happening is – this uh, Inuit fella named Attuk, or Atuk, he, uh, he moves to Toronto. He has to. He's basically transplanted there. And he adapts quick. He's like, okay, I get this. Capitalism. All righty. <laughs> this sounds fun. But the elites in the area, they're like, oh, my God, he's an Inuit. He's so spirit. Wow. He can teach me to paint with the colors of the wind, all this stuff. And <laughs> he takes... Yeah. So he takes full advantage of this, of this stereotype, of this nonsense, of this reputation. Uh, and he just becomes this big, corrupt, bigwig type fellow who's taking advantage of all this crap, kind of like a lot of Indian cult leaders in the U.S. And uh, he ends up becoming a symbol of like Canadian nationalism and anti-American sentiment, which, again, if this movie came out today because of how divisive everything is, every political ideology would be livid and say that they're poking fun of them. You know what I mean? Like everybody would be mad about this movie. So because it was such a popular book and because it's such a, a great adaptable material for a movie, a lot of people tried. And originally they were like, let's make this movie. It's the 80s. We all have cocaine. This is going to be so fun. It's going to be great. Let's cast John Belushi. And they cast John Belushi to play mm-hmm. Attuk. Well, I think we all know what happened with John Belushi. He mm-hmm. ended up getting a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, the circumstances around it, like his dealer, Kathy Smith, who went to jail for a long time, um, he, he was off drugs for a long time. Then he goes to his agent. And he's like, hey, man, give me some money. And his agent's like, oh, man, Belushi's fell off the wagon. No, 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 no. You can't have money. And so later he turns up while while Brillstein's talking to, like, a friend. And he didn't want to, like, cause a scene. So he gave him money. Well, Robin Williams and De Niro both visited him like, dude, don't, don't, 
you, you, you got to turn this around. Well, then his dealer visited and gave him actually a speedball, which is a combination of Coke and heroin. Uh, more on that later. And that's what killed him. So that's just a coincidence. People die and people die of overdoses and celebrities are very prone to die from overdoses. So they're like, oh, man, sucks that Belushi's dead. Um, let's get Kinnison, Sam Kinnison, to play uh, Atuk. And uh, then at Kennison's driving around uh, on the Needles Highway and he gets hit by a drunk driver and dies. We all kind of probably know that story, too. And incidentally, uh, the guy who killed him, one year of probation, 300 hours of community service. Drunk driver killed Sam Kennison. Also kind of weird, right? How is that yeah. possible? Wow. Right? So they're like, oh, man, that sucks. Two of our leading men, they died. Um, oh, well, on with the show. Let's cast, uh, you know who's big? John Candy. Let's cast John Candy. It's the nineties. Oh, no. Yeah. Guess what happens? John wow. Candy has a heart attack. To be fair, he was very, very big fella. So, you know, and he also did use a lot of cocaine, which, you know, when you're I mean, don't use cocaine, period, but don't use cocaine when you're morbidly obese. Um <laughs> so then they're like, Oh man, this <laughs> oh man, this sucks. I can't believe that uh uh John Candy died. You know who'd be really good for this? Uh, Michael O'Donohue. I mean, he's the guy who basically spearheaded, helped create National Lampoon. And, oh, man, a lot of the people we already were looking at, they were part of that. that that'd be really cool. Maybe he should be in it. So then he has a cerebral hemorrhage in 94. So then they're like, oh, man, that's that's a real shame. What, I'm starting to think this movie's cursed. Anyway, uh, what about Chris Farley? So they get Chris Farley, and, and I mentioned more on Speedball's. Chris Farley had a speedball, yeah. cocaine and uh, morphine in this case, instead of heroin. That's what killed him. Uh, so then they're like, all right, let's try it one more time. Let's, uh, you know, who's a really great actor, really funny, Phil Hartman. No. So, yep. Wow. Phil Hartman's wife shoots him with a 38, a uh, very abusive relationship, very crazy stuff. So after that, uh, it's been passed around. They've talked about Will Ferrell playing it. They've talked about Jack Black. They've talked no. about John Goodman. They've talked about Josh Mostel. They've talked about Jonathan Winters. But nobody really, they've even talked about Robin Williams, but nobody's wanted to uh, do it for some reason. So, again, funny book, funny concept would be a great adaptation, but who in the world would want to pick that flag up and run with it at this point? No. Yeah, they just need so, to, yeah. to take that book and bury it somewhere and be like, <laughs> Yeah, trippy stuff, guys. Wow. That's nuts. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm literally speechless. I don't even know what to say about that. You best start believing in cursed films. You're <laughs> one. I do. I think I do. So there are a couple of other ones that are cursed films that are out there, like The Exorcist was supposedly cursed, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm, I hate that movie. Um, wow. Is there anything else you guys want to add? Mm, don't borrow money from the mafia to fund your movie. Mm. There yeah. you go. The best advice I've ever heard. Nope. Well, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. James, who does our music? I'm going to throw it to you. I don't flip in, no. Alex knows. Oh, oh, <laughs> our music is by Grant Cook. You can find us music on iTunes, Amazon Music. Spotify, anywhere you listen to music. I've only been recording this yeah. podcast All I know is the years, music James. Hey, no, I, can't, <laughs> I can't blame James, right? If you ask me to do the ending and tell, you, you've done it before. We you ask me our email or our Instagram, I don't know. 
I got yeah. no idea. Thirteen four That's something. Right. But James is like a, a he remembers everything. Right. Mm. He can read out. a book and he knows everything. Except for apparently the person who does our music. James, Sorry, what was the name of my movie? What? What was the name of the movie I covered? Oh, that you covered. Yeah. Oh, that scared me. I don't actually remember. See? See? All right, you guys. Listen, listen. It's, I it's think- not as ironclad as you thought. It's not as ironclad as you thought. That wasn't a slide oh, against you. I was just saying. No, no. I'm yeah. glad you brought it up because it's, I, I, it's gone now. It's gone. It's Winter Kills. Watch it on TV. There we go. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Listen, I think that is a signal that it is time to sign off for the night. I'm going to go to bed. Alex is going to go to bed. Archer's already asleep. And James, I have no idea what James is going to do, but I'm sure it's going to be great. I bet it starts with ice and ends with cream. Yeah. Yep. So, you guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. Yeah.